Welcome to the American Society of Regional Anesthesia, Regional Anesthesia and Pain Podcast, ASRA Wrap. This is episode 13, Accreditation of the Regional Anesthesia and Acute Pain Medicine Fellowship. Welcome to the Azra Rap Podcast. I'm your host, Raj Gupta, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Eric Schwenk. Eric, how are you doing today? Fantastic. How are you? I'm doing really great. I'm excited about having the opportunity to record a podcast today. We've been delayed in getting this one together, but we've got three fantastic guests with us today. Our first guest doesn't usually need an introduction. Ed Mariano is with us here from Stanford. How are you doing, Ed? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Good. And um, we've had Jamie Barada with us before. She's at Jefferson in Philadelphia. Jamie, thanks for joining us again. Thank you for having me again. And then we've got a new guest for us today. Right next door to me is Brian Allen. He's uh, the fellowship director at Vanderbilt University, and uh, he's joining us for the show for the first time. Brian, great to have you. Great to be here. Thank you for the invite. So uh, our topic today, so Jamie's the fellowship director for regional anesthesia at Jefferson, and um, Ed was instrumental in setting up the ACGME regional anesthesia fellowship, the accredited fellowship. So what we wanted to talk about today is our topic is the regional anesthesia fellowship and the recent accreditation of uh, how many universities and how many places programs got accredited this year, Ed? In this first, we have nine accredited programs. Okay, and um, when did that uh, when did that accreditation go through the ACGME? So the um, yeah the application period for this first class actually opened just the beginning of October, and so it really is. Um, I really can't underestimate the amount of work that people must have put in to try to get their applications in before the deadline, because the ACGME actually needed their applications submitted by December 2nd, which meant that these groups basically had six weeks to put together their packets and send them to their local GME before they could be approved and sent on to ACE GME. So it was pretty heroic you know, to imagine that you know, nine programs actually got their stuff together as fast as they did and then got accredited. Uh, the announcement came out, um, I think all of us heard it basically at the, the last day of, of March, and then officially um, we got our letters about a month later. And, and I know Brian managed to pull that off somehow. He he was one of the nine that got all our paperwork done here at Vanderbilt, and so uh, we, we get to be in that esteemed crowd. Um, but before we get to the 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 actual accreditation, the first question I want to ask, and I, and um, and any of you guys can jump in. Ed, you may have the best context for this. Is why do we have an accredited fellowship? I mean, what was the point of even going through it? We had a bunch of fellowships out there already. Um, so I could fill up some people in on the background, um, just because I think I think I may be the only one um, you know, that has really been involved in the beginning um, of the process up until now. Um, yeah, so that's not to say that I've been involved since the beginning of regional anesthesia fellowships, you know, but at least I've been involved since the beginning. Um, of the process to be accredited. And so, as you know, we agreed in 2013 to finally look at the possibility of accrediting the fellowships as an official subspecialty with the core discipline being anesthesiology. And one of the, one of the issues that I think had come to the forefront 
in 2013, I think, had a lot to do with history. And so, you know, we've had fellowships that are non-accredited for years and years and years. And um, you could you could count on two hands, you know, the number of fellowships up until probably the early 2000s. Yeah, but in the, the following probably decade, uh, we saw the number of programs go from the teens into the 60s. Um, and around the same time, you know, we saw a real push for you know, using regional anesthesia for patients who were now having outpatient surgery for surgeries that used to require admission. Um, and I think that the push towards better pain control uh, you know, with some of the, uh, the benchmarks, uh, metrics came out um, related to you know, patient quality and experience were also starting to come out. I put the there um, to really have subspecialists who focused on the area of acute pain medicine. And I think what really yeah, made our group of fellowship directors you know, that normally never agrees on anything to finally agree to look at this is that um, it, we, we had so many programs that I think were able to offer great clinical training. Um, but as you can imagine, you know, there, were, there will always be certain programs that have name recognition. Yeah, but that doesn't mean that other programs that maybe don't have the same history you know, are unable to provide the same or even greater training for their fellows. And so I think at the end of the day, I mean, as a fellowship director myself, I think you have to care how you train your fellows and what that training means when they leave your organization. And so um, I think that being able to establish that that benchmark, that whatever that those criteria are you know, that we're going to agree on um, you know, to really qualify those fellows, I think it, you know, in the end, it has to mean something you know, for them and for us. And so I think now we can do that. Great. I wanted to, uh, this is Eric here. I just wanted to chime in and ask two questions. One is for Brian and then one's for Jamie. For uh, Brian, I guess if you could just talk for a couple minutes about some of the uh, the challenges or difficulties you had in getting it uh, getting it kind of pushed through in that short six-week time period. And then Jamie, I, I know I work with, but if you could just talk for a couple minutes about some of the issues that we face at Jefferson and maybe other similar places that are currently not accredited but have uh, some desire to do that in the future. What are some of the uh, roadblocks, either institutional or otherwise? So um, I guess, Brian, if you want to go first. Sure. Um, well, I think uh, I think that that six week time frame that uh, that that Ed referred to was about the time frame that it, it, it felt like a whirlwind over those six weeks trying to get everything in order, figuring out what needed to be done and and what needed to be filled out. Um, there's a kind of a big blank 20 page document from the ACGME in addition to pages and pages of further questions that, that really wanted to describe the required kind of in-depth description of the structure of the fellowship, the structure of assessment, of competency, um, of duty hours, basically description of all the rotations and, and all the places your fellows would go and what they would do and who would supervise them and how they would supervise them. So there was a lot of complexity there and just kind of putting it all down on, on paper. Um, fortunately, we had in the past kind of structured the fellowship in a way that knowing that Ed had been, Ed had been working on this and, and a number of other people for a long time, knowing that this was coming down the pipe, that we wouldn't really have to make it many structural changes to the fellowship uh, after it got approved for, after the subspecialty got approved for ACGME accreditation, we wouldn't have to make any changes. The only thing we had to do, we had to go uh, to the administration and the GME office and 
change our fellows designation from um, instructors to um, to being under the the GME office here, which really the, the salary was no different, nothing was different, and we we didn't have to change any of the supervision that was going on, kind of um, that has been going on for for several years, because all our all of our fellows, though they were listed as instructors, were supervised as if they were were fellows as well. So, so your fellows were never really functioning as junior faculty and and do and and covering cases and kind of doing any kind of split. It was in essence already set up like a PGY five type of supervised year. Is that right? Correct, and and that was done intentionally with the thought that 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 this this would allow us to move towards an ACGME accreditation. Uh, Jamie, you want to talk about ours? I think we have a bit of a different uh, experience than you guys. Yeah, our, our experience has been much different. Um, I mean, our fellowship from the start's always been what we call a hybrid, where we have our fellows are credentialed as attendings and instructors as well, and they function 50% of their time as attendings in the OR doing cases, and then the other 50% of the time they are doing fellows, rotating in either in some sort of regional anesthesia capacity or on um, the acute pain service. So, I mean, the biggest battle we have right now is we, you know, start our process of seeking accreditation is the, the funding, given that now with the hybrid situation, they kind of work as attendings to pay for their fellowship. And then as we move to a full um, accredited fellowship, then they wouldn't, you know, where does that funding come from? And that's probably the number one battle we have right now in trying to address with the um, department and hospital leadership. So, um, and I know other departments have had, you know, that problem trying to find, you know, how do we, you know, fund these fellows? Because it's hard to convince the administration the value, you know, beyond, you know, the education and everything, the value to the department. So, Ed, um, you know, uh, other than the financial aspects, which are obviously uh, a big hurdle for most institutions, what do you think are some of the key elements that came up during the structuring of the uh, accredited fellowships that you think uh, non-accredited programs are going to struggle with the most? Um, I, I know the finances are the big hurdle, but there uh, are there other elements that you think are part of a, uh, a year-long program that are going to be harder to implement? Yeah, I think that one one of the things that we really worked hard on, as you could probably tell just in the length of time that it took us to put the program requirements, was that we tried to get a lot of stakeholder input to try to figure out uh, not only what's being currently taught in the fellowship programs, but really what should be taught. And what I mean by that is, um, for for many of us, you know, who have been practicing regional anesthesiology and acute pain medicine for years. Um, you know, th that group, that cohort of people, um, yeah, has essentially learned by experience. Um, but at the same time, I think that these are, these are, this is an important pool of people to really learn from because I think, as you know, you know, to establish a new program, it does take a lot of vision and persistence. And so, you know, those are oftentimes you know, a good group of people to really draw you know, some of the insights on as far as, um, you know, where do you think the specialty is going? Because, um, you know, the choice of the name was actually non-random. And, you know, and if you, if I go back to the original letter I sent in 2013, I actually had the, the name of the fellowship reversed. 
as acute pain medicine and regional anesthesiology to really emphasize the acute pain medicine aspect uh, of the specialty. Um, it came back as approved from the ACGME uh, for us to develop program requirements with the name turned around, and I think that was a preference of the RRC, although it can't be for certain, um, and really just to designate that anesthesiology is the core specialty. Part of the reason why I think that the, um, there was a lot of uh, ensuing discussion with the development of the program requirements had a lot to do with what goes into it, and um, as you mentioned already, part of the um, diversity in the fellowship programs has to do with their structure. Um, we have no doubt that every every program that currently has a non-accredited fellowship can provide regional anesthesia training in some sh some way, shape, or form. But we also know that a set of techniques doesn't make a subspecialist physician, and it doesn't make a good consultant for acute pain medicine for our patients. And I think that you know, with the way that medicine is going and the way that we're trying to demonstrate value, I think you know that's a whole subject for another day. But um, I think that we anesthesiologists, I think, really hold the key you know, for really trying to coordinate you know, the patient care experience for surgery. And central to that is really good across the spectrum. And I think we can do that with well-trained fellows. So I anticipate that one of the probably most difficult curricular areas you know, for fellowship programs to satisfy is the acute pain medicine portion. Um, there are programs that have separate acute pain experiences. Uh, many have a clinical service that is a hybrid regional anesthesia and acute pain medicine team, you know, but the dedicated education in terms of patient care and medical knowledge um, that's specific to acute pain medicine isn't always present. Um, when we debated the number of months that would be required, as you know, the program requirements identified 10 of the months of the to be clearly clinical, and then of those 10 months, three have to be dedicated to acute pain medicine. Um, if you look at the minimum number of months for regional anesthesia, they're actually really, they're actually relatively low. It's five. Um, and the reason why isn't because we think that people should only do five months of regional anesthesia training. It's because no one's going to have trouble doing five months, right? But three months of acute pain, I think, is going to be a little bit more challenging for people, especially to satisfy the patient care and medical knowledge requirements uh, listed in the in the document. And there are there are a number of models out there that that people operate under. I mean, when we were filling out our application, we kind of had to split the difference. We have a kind of a hybrid rotation that's partially regional anesthesia and partially acute pain medicine, kind of day in and day out for. Uh, a large portion of the year. And so we kind of bridged both of those kind of simultaneously. I think just speaking for uh, for Jefferson, we have pretty separate services and there's a little bit of cross uh, cross coverage and overlap for some of the regional attendings. Jamie and I happen to cover the pain service, but the other uh, faculty members are basically acute pain faculty members and a couple of them are, are general anesthesiologists as well, but there's there's a separation. And some of that separation and coverage of getting the blocks done for clinical work versus the acute pain time is some of where some of the problems come in for for us. And we have a very, you know, very well established acute pain service of, you know, 15 plus years that I think is probably better developed than a lot of places. And despite that, I think, you know, just speaking from the perspective of a non-accredited program, um, you know, without that dedicated accreditation and kind of um, mandating of different fellows covering different things at different times when you have the ability to substitute uh, fellows in in and out of the OR covering cases I think that kind of, the lines sometimes get blurred as to when you're covering 
when you're covering as a junior faculty member versus a fellow. And I think that's one of the other uh, struggles, not really from the institutional point of view, but just from, from our departmental view is that they, you know, other than the regional faculty, the other departmental members aren't always viewing them as uh, fellows and keeping them in that role. You know, the line gets occasionally blurred. And I think that's, uh, you know, do I do you sit under the cover of the blocks today? Oh, you know, the surgeon's going to be angry if the blocks don't get done, but then he needs to cover the pain service that day. And then it's kind of, you know, you get into some of those situations. I don't know if you guys have any uh, similar experiences or I guess, you know, it's different setup at your places. Well, I think that this is something that the um, even for you know, not just for the fellows, but for residency training that ACGME tries to be um, you know, very aware of, which is just this um, you know, the the tension between service and learning. And I think that um, you know, for I mean, all of us I think practice regional anesthesiology and acute pain medicine, um, yeah, at least in part or sometimes to a great extent, um, in addition to to anesthesia care. And I think for us, you know, that if you, you know, if you self-select and you um, define your specialty in that area, I think it's hard to really argue that a full year dedicated 100% to training isn't too much, right? I mean, why would you? You would never say that. You know, for all the things that um, that I do today, I mean, I don't think I could fit that in a year. Um, you know, even with 100% um, training time, I think that um, you know, in order to accommodate yeah, the accredited program and to fulfill the requirements. Um, it does take, um, yeah, it really takes a departmental investment, if not even, a, I would say, a hospital investment, um, to say that this is something important in terms of um, a subspecialty that needs to be developed. Um, and it's not just for the specialty medical care, but it's really in the context of hospital leadership, because I do think that our fellows, you know, when trained very well, I think should be able to look at systems in terms of you know, gaps and opportunities you know, because all of us have done that. I think in our practices, we've all looked at systems and ways that they need to be better. And whether you call yourself a change agent or an implementation specialist, um, who no, no one does that, right? Except for maybe uh, people who happen to like to put that stuff on their profile. Um, but, <laughs> you know, the, um, but, but we all do it because regional anesthesiologists and acute pain medicine specialists, because I think we're used to looking at making things better um, for our patients and for our specialty, um, and definitely improving patient care and, and healthcare that way. So I think um, it does take a lot of investing because you have to change your model. Um, and having gone for now, you know, I started my first fellowship in 2006, and I enjoyed a lot of flexibility for from having that flexibility in terms of um, designing the curriculum, the number of fellows, and the way that I selected them um, for years. Uh, and really up until uh, 2013 to finally come around to the idea of even um, wanting to pursue the idea of accreditation, even just to ask the question, um, and which is, I think, why um, I was pegged by the fellowship directors to actually write the letter to Tom Naska, uh, the CEO of the ACGME, to even ask for consideration because yeah, I wasn't pro-accreditation um, for my entire career. Um, I've only been pro-accreditation for about four plus years. Um, yeah, but I think that's probably why this happened. Um, but it really gave me a good insight, and I think that I was able to look at it from both sides. So, Jamie, um, and, and this will bounce back to Brian as well. Um, 
I'm guessing you guys are having interviews for fellows um, in the near future, if not already. Um, and this new accreditation has just come around the corner. Uh, what kind of uh, uh, things are you hearing from people that are potentially candidates for fellows? Are they enticed by the accreditation or do they find that uh, more of a nuisance and a frustration um, that there's two different kinds of programs out there now? Um, from the people I've spoken to, I mean, they're excited that it's credited and they see that as a great, you know, thing in the future of regional anesthesia and acute PMS and then a great thing for their career. I do, I have had people seem somewhat be, you know, not necessarily, I mean, they're interested still in both programs. You know, they see the enticement of some of the hybrids and higher salaries, but they see the value in accreditation. So I'm not sure I've seen that they're picking based on any one thing, um, but you know, they definitely are excited for that for their careers and, you know, the way the specialty is going. Um, but I haven't necessarily seen them, anyone yet, at least say to me, of course, right, you know, right. whether they're <laughs> right. drawn they're to still one interviewing, format right? or they're the still, other. They exactly. are interviewing, so. Exactly. <laughs> right. Um, who knows what they really intend. So, uh, I mean, people still seem to be interested or are okay with both as we transition through this period. And Brian, I mean, we're obviously people are going to be uh, playing to the individual institution's strength that they're interviewing at. And so do you hear different things from the candidates that we see here at Vanderbilt? And it feels to me like we've been a little bit at a recruitment disadvantage in the in the past um, recruiting at, at kind of a PGY5 salary for for a job that that might pay uh significantly more at other other institutions when it's kind of a, a split model so we've had we've lost uh, very talented people in the past or people have gone elsewhere um, in the past and that may reflect us or it may reflect um, the the a salary uh, drive there and this year we've been able to, to kind of show the accreditation as kind of the the the, the thing that, that that we show as a commitment to the to the education that hopefully will defer some of that that difference in in salary and so um, for us it's it's been um, we've used that to to kind of emphasize with applicants our um, uh, the commitment to education and 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 teaching in a full a full year of it rather than a partial um, a partial fellowship or a split fellowship which was the model that I went through when I did my fellowship and and, and loved it at at OHSU um, but we've gotten some positive responses, but, but we've been kind of proactive about bringing that up. Uh, this is Eric again. I just had a quick question for Ed, just cause you've been around it the longest, but, um, how, how long would you guess? And obviously there's no way to predict, but how long do you think it'll be before, uh, before the accredited programs start to clearly take, um, preference? I mean, obviously more programs are getting accredited every year as more fill the application out, but there's clearly more, um, non-accredited and likely higher paying uh, fellowships right now that are available. And I, do, I definitely don't think that we've been at a disadvantage this year by being a hybrid. And I think the fellows in some ways, at least maybe some of the ones we've seen have seeming to have been looking for that. So I, maybe it'll take, you think it'll maybe take some time to even out where it's a more of a level playing field where there's been a few years of accredited fellows coming out. Yeah, I, mean, I, I know of probably about a dozen that are currently working on their applications right now. And, you know, the RRC reviews applications two times a year. And um, so yeah, I expect probably my best guess, you know, I've been wrong a lot in the past, so you sort of take it or leave it. But um, 
Yeah, I would say within the next five years, my best case is that we'll have over half of programs accredited at least. Um, I think that there are always going to be certain programs you know, that will elect to be non-accredited you know, for lots of reasons. I think that um, you know, one, of the, um, one of the core requirements to be an accredited fellowship program is that you have to have an accredited residency program. And so you know, that's a hurdle for a couple of programs that I can think of offhand. Um, yeah, and I think that you know, there, that doesn't necessarily mean that they have to completely change the model and align with a, you know, a, an accredited residency program at another place um, if that's not what they choose to do. Um, yeah, I think that if there are going to be programs that, you know, that may, you know, may or may not fit into that, at least for that category, but may choose electively because of their brand or you know, maybe their you know, you know, their their current reputation that they fill a certain niche, um, and they may choose electively, you know, not to apply. Um, yeah, I don't think that you know, the goal will be to have every single program accredited. You know, not because I don't think that they all can be. You know, it's just that I don't think that. Um, you know, I think that the landscape of regional anesthesiology and acute pain medicine training, I think, is just that diverse. Um, you know, the um, requirements, I think, are achievable. Uh, for every program, I think that has an a directly affiliated program. Um, I think it's really just a matter of whether or not those programs you know, choose to apply you know, at all, or you know, B, you know, whether they choose to apply two or three years to see how things go. Um, but yeah, but my best guess is that we'll probably be looking with at probably 50% plus within five years. And and you cut out a little bit earlier. You said how often do they um, review those applications? How many times a year? Uh, two times a year. Two times a year. Okay. And uh, so w one last question um, as we start winding things down on this conversation is um, w what will it mean to be fellowship trained, accredited fellowship trained in the future in the job market? Um, we know that other fellowship trained accredited programs have been able to negotiate higher salaries or a pay differential based on their fellowship training. And traditionally, I don't think that's occurred with regional anesthesia acute pain fellowships. Do you, do, do you guys think, and I'll start with Brian on this. Do you guys think that, um, that having this new accreditation will give leverage in negotiations for jobs at a different level? Um, because there is, I think an interest in things like acute pain services, ERAS services, um, where a lot of this stuff uh, crosses. Um, an accredited fellowship, potentially, in my mind, may be a negotiating tool for a pay differential. Brian, what do you think? Um, it's it's hard for me to speculate about uh, private practice uh, jobs to, to that extent, but um, I think that our, our fellows will certainly uh, use it and hopefully describe the training that they, that they received and describe the uh, especially, you mentioned ARIS protocols. I mean, we're we're pretty heavily focused on on that as a as a marketing tool for any anesthesiologist to try and go into a, an institution and optimize their their flow through the through the ORs and and through the hospitalization. And I I think that savvy uh, fellowship graduates will will be able to market their skills um, to to their new institutions on the basis of cost savings or some somewhat increased revenue. So I think partially, I, I'm hopeful that the the fellowship uh, accreditation uh, will kind of help to advance kind of the, the the knowledge and research in the in the specialty 
uh, as much as um, the fiscal clout. Yeah, I'd say for sure that um, that doing the fellowship and an accredited program versus non-accredited uh, will necessarily affect how much people get paid. I mean, I know how we do our own compensation panels, and we do factor in fellowship training, um, you know, whether or not it's accredited. Uh, what I will say, though, is I think um, the road to accreditation is really one that um, is a great responsibility of the program. And so, like, in order to, to maintain accreditation, the program has to fulfill a pretty hefty load of requirements. And so, for any fellow that graduates from the accredited program, you know, the program requirements, what that person has learned, the curriculum, is public knowledge. You, know, you can go to ACGME and you can look up the program requirements. And if that program has been accredited, then you know, you know what their fellows are going to come out learning. And I think that um, that helps in my view, at least yeah, it gives some some substance, some you know, some currency to the certificate that they earn at the end of the year and allows them to take it somewhere else if they need to. Yeah, I mean, I think that the the fellows will be you know valued more with the accreditation as we go forward and more and more programs. I mean, there's constantly interest from both private, you know, a lot of private practices that I get, you know, emails about, you know, fellows, you know, coming to, you know, job availability for fellows trained in regional and especially acute pain you know mm -hmm. a lot of interest in private practices having acute pain medicine trained um fellows so i think ha I, I agree with having the accreditation the standardization you know the uh, more robust training that you can get from the dedicated year-long fellowship will give them those skills that will be very highly respected and highly valued both in the private and academic se um, sectors uh, thanks a lot, guys. I guess I had one more uh, one more question. I guess maybe um, Ed, you could get, give a couple brief words on it. But it seems like we talked about acute pain uh, acute pain services being established as, as a somewhat of a hurdle for some places. What, do you have any advice for um, an anesthesia program that has a little bit less of a robust in a, uh, acute pain service established that maybe wants to get accredited? Maybe they're doing a lot of blocks, a lot of regional, but right now. Um, the acute pain is not really where it needs to be. What do they need to do to, to kind of get closer to that? Yeah, so I'd say, I mean, you can look at this in the context of trying to develop um, a, the fellowship program or just in terms of trying to improve hospital-based medicine. And so I think if, if you're an anesthesiology department or an anesthesiology group, whether you're um, you know, private, academic, or academically affiliated, then I think it's worth looking at your system anyway just to say, well, yeah, how is uh, how is our acute pain medicine? You know, what does it look like you know, for patients who you know, have surgery or present with trauma? Um, yeah, you know, who have acute illnesses? You know that um, you know that develop um, you know, acute pain episodes, and who responds? And so I think that um, yeah, you may find that every, which is probably true, that you may find that every acute pain service at different institutions based on your population are probably, they're probably going to vary. Um, you're going to have different collaborators, different, um, you know, different people who are already involved in some aspect of acute pain care. Um, and you may find that, you know, as an anesthesiology group, you know, that, you know, that you can fill in some of those gaps, you know, that patients experience and you can, you can fix that system in some way, you know, to provide some continuity of acute pain care. Uh, for patients who present to your hospital, I think if you do that and you you, know, you do you do the medicine first and you fix the system first, I think you'll have um, a much better environment to support the fellowship. 
Um, but I do think that um, you know, for the programs that have been able to um, demonstrate that they can provide the three months of dedicated acute pain medicine training, um, and I would, and I would actually, I would put, um, you know, as you mentioned before, I mean Jefferson is you know, has one of the longest standing, most robust acute pain services um, that I know of in the country, and I think that um, yeah, you know, that aspect of training is one of the hardest things you know, to establish. If you're already doing that. And I think that that's probably the biggest hurdle to, um, you know, to achieving the ACG and the accreditation program requirements. Um, but but I think that for programs that don't have that yet, then yeah, then I would just focus on making acute pain medicine better first, um, and then the training I think will follow. Well, it's definitely clear that uh, the design of this fellowship was intended uh, in large part just to help an institution build a more robust experience for trainees um, and not just have uh, frivolous rotations to fill out a year. Um, I mean, it was definitely, there was a lot of, clearly a lot of thought into um, some of the details of those month-long rotations. Well, I want to thank all of you guys for joining us. Um, I, I think that this was a hot topic. I know at the last spring meeting, a lot of people were talking about the fellowship accreditation just because it was new and it had just come up. Um, and I think that uh, to hear some of the perspective on where it came from, why it came from, and then the pros and cons of an accredited or non-accredited program, I think we're going to be living with two types of programs for a little while. And so um, people have to know what the pros and cons of each choice are. So thank you again for joining us. Um, for those out there listening, I apologize for the long delay between shows. We're trying hard to do this every month, and we'll try to keep doing that in the future. Um, and I hope you join us and listen in the future. And thank you guys again. Oh, by the way, one announcement, if you are interested, make sure to look up azure.com. The fall meeting's coming around very soon. I think there's still time to submit an abstract, um, but there's definitely time to register for the fall meeting. So go check out azure.com and uh, look into the fall pain meeting. All right, thank you guys. We'll be back with a vengeance. What's that? Thank, thank you. you. We'll be back with a vengeance. Yes. Uh, a lot of podcasts coming up, so. Good. <laughs> good stuff. Thank you guys.